Hello ninjas and ninjas, and welcome to a very special episode of the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. My name's Tim Cameron Kitchen. I'm a best-selling digital marketing author and head ninja at Exposure Ninja, which is a marketing agency in the UK that helps businesses to generate more leads and sales through their website. Now, this show is all about helping you to generate more leads and sales for your business. And in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Aaron Krauss, who is the daddy of Scrub Daddy. Now, for those of you who don't know Scrub Daddy, it's basically a sponge, although really that doesn't do it justice. As you'll see in this episode, or as you'll hear in this episode, Aaron has built the Scrub Daddy brand into something that is quite extraordinary. 40% market recognition in the US, and he's just, he said last month in Germany, he sold over half a million Scrub Daddy sponges right? In a month in Germany. What the hell? Anyway, Aaron's come onto the show to talk about his approach to growing the business. And it's really interesting to hear his story. He's used probably the most challenging marketing channel ever created by man, right? Which is TV. He's been on live TV. And in particular, he's been on QVC over 200 times. Now, the thing about live TV is there's no messing around. You can see exactly how much you sell. And if you're not good, if the product is good if the story and the demonstration isn't good you're gone so fast so the fact that he's been there over 200 times shows how good he is at selling in person and through demonstration if you're listening to the audio version of this podcast i'd encourage you to check out the youtube version uh, because you'll actually see aaron in person and he just cannot help himself his demonstrations are so good he's constantly trying to pitch me on scrub daddy and i'm like dude i'm interviewing you for the podcast and he's like showing me how it works and showing me the adverts and stuff so he is just a walking billboard for scrub daddy it's pretty interesting to see um, how he's done this. So really interesting. He talks all about the TV stuff. He actually also talks about social media and how he approaches brand building and video advertising as well. So lots of takeaways here. At the time of talking to him, uh, we're just a few hours before he goes live to QVC where he's gonna be releasing the SpongeBob version of Scrub Daddy. So he's very excited about that. And uh, hopefully by the time you see this, he will have had an amazing launch and sold out of all 75,000 units. No doubt he will. So I really hope you enjoyed the episode with Aaron Krauss of Scrub Daddy. Aaron, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. I'm going to have a sip of coffee first while I get ready for you. <laughs> Good stuff. So you're here to tell us about Scrub Daddy and how you've grown Scrub Daddy from... I almost want to say like it was an accidental start, wasn't it? This wasn't your original plan, but you've turned it into something that is absolutely massive. Perhaps you could give us a quick version of the story. Of course. Well, I'm a big believer in what I call pivot. And, you know, a lot of inventions, and I consider myself an inventor, I have more than 20 patents, and I've been inventing products for more than 20 years. But a lot of inventions um, start with an idea about making a product to solve one problem without thinking that possibly it has an even bigger market or even in, it solves an even larger problem somewhere else. So that, that's the story of Scrub Daddy. Scrub Daddy was originally invented in 2006 to clean my dirty hands. I was running, uh, I had a company manufacturing buffing pads for cars and boats and planes and marble. We were making them out of urethane foam. It's an invention that I created in 1994 while polishing a car. I invented a new buffing pad. That led me into manufacturing buffing pads, led me into an entire 
education on urethane foams because we were making all of our pads out of urethane foams. It also led to me not just inventing products, but inventing processes and equipment to make those products. And unfortunately, since I invented those machines, I was the only one who knew how to fix them. And that required me to get my hands dirty all the time. So daily, I was half underneath machines getting oil in my eyes, and the rest of the day, I'd be typing out emails. And I was looking for a better way to get my hands clean, and I didn't like the options that were out there, which were Gojo soap or lava soap, these soaps that have a a rocky, gritty feel to them, and they never suds up, and they smell terrible. I wanted to use my soap, and I needed a product that would scrub that soap and clean my hands. And after experimenting with the different brushes on the market, because that's really what they have, they have nail brushes and, and brushes for scrubbing your hands, I, I realized I didn't like the feel of those at all. And I was looking at this wall of foam that we make buffing pads out of. And I thought, I wonder if you know one of the foams would work. And they didn't. But because I knew all the companies that made foam, I actually challenged them to provide me with a foam that was the stiffest, roughest foam they could make. And all these companies sent me foams. One company sent me this foam out of Germany. And it was really interesting. It was very stiff. I needed it to be a little stiffer. And I needed the pores to be a little bit bigger. Uh, I wanted the tensile strength to be a little bit different. And I wanted the density to be a little bit different. So I started working with them. And after about two or three months, they sent me this, this magical material that we call Flex Texture. And that's what became Scrub Daddy. We designed it originally just to clean your hands. In fact, the, the eye holes are not uh, for doing dishes or for putting your fingers in like this to do dishes. They're for cleaning your fingers. So you can actually go all the way in and clean a finger. And the, the ridges are to get underneath your fingernails. And the two eye holes were to make it really easy to get underneath your fingernails because you weren't holding it. There was no mouth. And we patented that product in 2006. I believe we got the patent in 2007 or eight. Around the same time, the the worldwide conglomerate 3M started taking interest in my business of buffing pads. We were competing with them on a daily basis, and I had created two new patents that actually were were poised to really hurt them. It was a quick connect, automatic centering, double side reversible buffing pad. Say that three times. (laughs) So this technology replaced all the other attaching mechanisms on the market And we were giving away these adapters. And once you put this on your machine, your machine doesn't work with anyone else's buffing pads. And so we were just taking customers left and right. So they couldn't have that. So they came down and made me, you know, an offer I couldn't refuse. But in the negotiations to get to that offer, there was a lot of products they didn't want to pay me for. And one of them was, you know, this this sponge that I created for scrubbing your hands. I can't even call it a smiley face sponge because it didn't have a smile in it. Mm. Um, And the eye holes were more in the center. They didn't want it. We had very little sales in it. Uh, we were having a, a real hard time convincing, you know, uh, a mechanic or a body shop to spend four dollars to scrub their hands. Most of these guys could care less. They'd rather go home with dirty hands than spend four dollars. So we were really in the wrong market. And 3M didn't want it, and they didn't want to pay me for it. And I was so caught up in the sale of my business mm. um, to 3M, you know, who's a Fortune 50 company, you know, multi-billion-dollar conglomerate. This was going to be a life-changing event. So I just kind of put the hundred or so of these scrubbers that we made, I put them in a box and I labeled it scrap and I put it in the back of the factory and I literally forgot about it. We sold the business in 2008. Um, I, I, I ended up uh, 
running as a developer and a consultant for 3M for the next five years. And it wasn't until 2011 that my wife started nagging me to clean the lawn furniture because the spring was coming. And I started out using a traditional sponge, you know, the one with the green scouring pad on yeah. the back and the yellow, stinky, smelly cellulose on the other side. <laughs> well, I went to scrub the algae and the mold off of the lawn furniture that had been sitting outside and it scratched the paint off. And I, you know, my wife was screaming, and yelling at me and I was like, okay, uh, I won't use that. What am I going to use? And then I remembered I had a box of scrap in the office and I ran down the office and I picked them up. I was like, oh, finally, I got a use for these things. You know, I'll use it, you know, on one chair and I'll throw that one away and I'll pick another one up and I'll, and it probably won't scratch and it will work fine. So I started out using them and it was about 50 degrees that day outside uh, 50 degrees Fahrenheit. Sorry, I can't convert that for 10 you. 10 degrees so, Celsius-ish? Probably 10. It, not freezing, uh, chilly. Yeah. You know, not warm. And I didn't want to work outside in a bucket of cold, soapy water. So I made a bucket of warm, soapy water. And I took this, you know, rock-hard scrubber that we made, and I dunked it into the warm water, and it went, and went completely soft. And I had never experienced that before. When we were scrubbing our hands, we were always doing it in, in, in cold water. That's what you have in the back of the factory. So I thought, oh my God, it's ruined. What happened? Maybe it was the soap that did that. Or, but as I started scrubbing, because it was 50 degrees outside, it started stiffening, almost like crystallizing in my hand. And the harder it got, the colder it got, the better it scrubbed. And the warmer it got, the more I could squeeze it and fit it in between the you know, the, the, the slots and the chairs and clean in between areas. And it was great. Every time I did a chair and it was filthy dirty and I dipped it back in the water, when I pulled it out, it was brand new and clean again. And so the same one that I started with did all the chairs and the table and it looked brand new. So I, I couldn't with a good conscience throw it away. So I took it and I left it at my sink. And that night I started doing the dishes with it. It was total by accident. It was sitting there I just picked it up and I started scrubbing the dishes with it and it was fantastic. And I started doing the hot and cold. You know, if, if something was really stuck on, I'd make the water colder and it would scrub it off. And then when I wanted to get into a cup, I could, you know, squeeze it down. And that's when I saw the eye holes and I put my fingers in them. And I thought, why would I hold a sponge? Why would anyone hold a sponge on the outside? Why are sponges rectangular when most of the things that we're cleaning are round? Cups bowls, mugs, dishes, coffee pots, muffin tins, they're all round. And so you want something that's round that can get in them. But when you're holding a sponge on the outside, you can't get in. But when you hold a sponge from the inside, you can easily get inside. And so I started doing all the dishes like this. Well, it was, it was the most fantastic thing. I, I pulled it out and looked at it and said, Oh my God, if there was a smile face on it, I could put the silverware in and I could clean both sides of the silverware at the same time. And that's when like the skies opened up and I had that you know, epiphany moment and I realized that I needed to pivot, that this wasn't for scrubbing your hands. It was probably for, you know, for scrubbing everything, but it was the best dish scrubbing tool that I'd ever experienced. And that is a much, much bigger market than mechanics cleaning their hands. So. I immediately pivoted and I started creating logos, marketing, and 
I went immediately and patented the smiley face one as well, which we received the patent, I think, 2012. So at this point, you had a product which technically a multi-billion global conglomerate had decided was worthless. You truly believed in it. But in that sense, you were kind of like a lot of inventors where you have a product that you think is brilliant. From there to where you are now is a, a big, big leap. So how did you start getting sales of Scrub Daddy in the early days? Well, originally, I, I thought, you know, it's, we need to sell on the shelves right next to all the other sponges. So mm-hmm. you know, I, I had no experience in that marketplace. I started calling supermarket chains. I started calling, you know, uh, department stores like Bed Bath & Beyond. And I, I couldn't get past the front, you know, the front uh, blocker. That's what I call my assistant sometimes. She blocks <laughs> calls for me. But, you know, you call Bed Bath & Beyond and you're like, um, I have a product I want to present. And they're like, mm. please hold. You know? <laughs> and they send you into a black hole. And that's the end of it. So I was a little bit frustrated. I couldn't get anywhere. But I had a friend of mine who owns some uh, supermarket chains in my, my immediate area. He owns like five supermarkets. And I asked him, could I, could you, you know, would you put this on the shelf? And he said, you can do that, but it won't sell. And I said, what are you talking about? It's a smiley face sponge in a bright orange box. And it's, you know, how can it not sell? And he said, you know, people don't come to the supermarket looking for the latest technology and sponges. They want to get their eggs, their milk, their, their cheese, and they want to grab the same sponge they've been using for 10 years and leave. Mm-hmm. So I didn't believe him. Uh, but he agreed to put it on the shelf, and I did that, and it didn't sell. And I, he said, you know, I told you it wouldn't sell. He's like, but look, here, if you want it to sell, this is what you need to do. You need to set up little demo kiosks in my stores, and you do live demonstrations. So I did that. I set up a little booth, and people would walk by, and I'd let them feel the hot and cold, and I'd do a little demo with my fingers in the eye holes, and I would do the spoon in the mouth, and bam, sold. People would buy one and two at a time. I was selling like you know, a hundred sponges in a day. Wow. He doesn't sell a hundred sponges a month in that store. Yeah. So he was, you know, oh my God, like you need to do this in all my stores. So by the time I had finished, you know, giving up all my weekends and football games, you know, and I'm just doing live demos in the stores, I got pretty good at doing these demos and, you know, being in front of people and not being shy about that demonstration. But I also realized, that there was no way to replicate myself um, to do this and that I couldn't afford to pay somebody to do this either because, you know, to pay a competent person, it would be a minimum of like 10 to $12 an hour. And I'm, I'm not really making the full markup. The store is, so I'm selling it wholesale to the store. And by the time you're done, there's, there's no way that you're going to turn a profit. You're going to lose on, on every one of them. And so I, I was thinking, how could I get the public to know about this um, and, and one of the days while I was thinking about that, I was reading uh, our local newspaper in the Philadelphia area. It's called the Philadelphia Inquirer. And it reaches, you know, over a million people in the Philadelphia area. And they were, it was just 2011. So you got to remember, the U.S. is still in a, in a pretty serious uh, recession, verging on a depression. And the newspapers just love it because they're writing all these negative stories all the time about how, you know, we're going to go into depression. It's going to be worse than the Great Depression. They're calling it the Great Recession now. And China's taking all our jobs. And we're all going out of bit. And then people get scared. And they, like, don't go out to dinner that night. And they don't buy a new washing machine. You know, and then another couple companies go out of business. And they write another story. So I, I called the editor up. And I said, 
you know, you write these articles. I read your newspaper and I, I read the business section because I'm a businessman and I, I like to know what's going on. And I think you're part of the problem. I think you write these negative stories all the time and you scare people and then they don't go out and shop and then two more businesses go out of business and you guys write another story. Why don't you write a positive story? I'm right here in Philadelphia. I'm creating new products, creating new jobs. I sold my last company to a multi-billion dollar conglomerate and I'm going to do it again. And they were like, oh, really? What's that? So they came down and they spent the day with me. And as you can see, I'm not shy. I can talk. <laughs> so I talked their ear off for the day. And they wrote a glowing article on the front page of the business section on a Sunday called, he's the daddy of the scrub net. And it hit over a million and a half people. And the phone started ringing. The website started getting sales. And a guy called me and said, this sounds really interesting. I get products onto QVC, the, the home shopping channel. And I think this product would be just amazing on there. What do you think? And I said, so you work for QVC? And he said, no, I'm a broker. I get you a meeting at QVC. And I said, well, why, why can't I get a meeting at QVC? He said, well, if you can do that, you should do that. But if you can't, here's my number. Give me a call. So I thought, you know, the guy's an idiot. QVC is right here in Philadelphia. Mm. I don't need him. I'll just go there myself. You know, so you go there and they give you a card at the door. You need to go out of here and fill out our website. There's a form there. That's the only way you can submit a product. So I did that. It was a matter of hours. I got the rejection letter. It like goes into like a spin cycle on a washing machine and it just spits out like rejection. <laughs> so immediately we were rejected. Um, so I called the broker back and the broker said, yeah, everybody gets rejected from QVC because they get thousands of submissions and it's impossible for them to vet them all because they don't make money saying no. They only make money when they bring a product on and they sell it. So instead of them saying no, what they do is they have an army of brokers that are independent. So on their time, their money, and their reputation, they go out and find products and present them to the buyers. And the buyers will listen to the broker because if, they, if the broker keeps coming with bad ideas, he won't be a broker at QVC very long. But once they do and they have established relationship, then the, bro the buyer will always listen to the broker and they have a, re a relationship there. So I got a meeting like instantly. He made one phone call and I got a meeting. And in the meeting, I, I demoed the product and they, it was a, a funny meeting. Uh, at first it, it, it went pretty bad, but at the end they said, all right, we like it. And we want you to be the on-air person. Now right. I've never been on TV before and that did not seem like a great idea. Like I, I don't know the first thing about it. And you know, the people who are on there are professional presenters and they really, really know what they're doing. And I was like, really? I don't think I, they're like, oh, you're going to, you're going to be just fine. We have a one-day class. We teach you everything. The one-day class is total BS. The only thing the class is for is to weed out who can never be on air. <laughs> and uh, miraculously, uh, I, I passed the class. They were more afraid that I would be such a used car salesman because I'm so energetic and that's not the way they sell. Mm. They, were too, they were really afraid of that, but they said that they thought I could tone it down and still be a good QVC person. At this point, I do whatever I want. <laughs> <laughs> 
but uh, that was it. I, I ended up getting on QVC. Um, my first show was a bit of a disaster. I didn't know what I was doing. It was pretty scary. Um, but by my second and third show, I started getting really comfortable on air and I started selling out. And by my fourth show, I was just so comfortable on air that I was directing the camera before the show. Like, don't come from over here this time. You need to come from this side. And when you do this shot, I need you to be lower so you actually see the height difference. And I came home, was bragging to my wife that I'm a TV star and I was born for TV. And, and she's telling me to shut up because I'm interrupting, you know, our favorite show called Shark Tank. Of course. And it's a, a couple guys going on and have, they have no business being on TV. They have no business representing their own products. And they came unprepared to the Shark Tank. You know how that works out? Uh, it's no good. <laughs> it's not good. That's Mr. Wonderful telling you you're dead to him and <laughs> take your idea out back and shoot it in the head. I turned to my wife and I was like, what a bunch of idiots. I could go on the Shark Tank and kill those guys. And then I was like, hold on. How do you go on Shark Tank? Pull my phone out. Look at that. There's a website. Oh, look at that. There's a form. And I sent an email and uh, took about two months, but a producer called me that began, you know, another two months of uh, auditions and I guess vetting. And then eventually they flew me out to LA uh, for a final audition. And the next thing you know, I'm in front of the sharks. That's crazy. What an incredible story. And crazy. So that early experience in the supermarkets where you're standing in front of a small group of people and you're working on your pitch, you're figuring out what sort of demonstrations are getting the best reaction from people. I guess that's been absolutely key. Without that, none of this would have happened. Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. That that was the foundation for all of the demonstrations and and for all of the sales pitches. And it was just locking that down. I mean, if you imagine that pitch ended up on Shark Tank, mm. you know, that, that sales pitch in the store, of course, refined over hundreds and hundreds of pitches. But if you just tried to go on Shark Tank and I felt like and I didn't have that level of, of experience, then my pitch wouldn't have been so smooth and so refined. I was so comfortable in my pitch on Shark Tank. People are like, oh my God, were you nervous? I was like, absolutely not. In fact, the truth is, I don't even remember doing the pitch. I remember leaving my body and watching myself do the pitch and like congratulating myself. Oh, it was really good. You did a nice job on that. Oh, keep going. Like, but my hands and my mouth were just going through the motions mm -hmm. of muscle memory. I wasn't thinking about it at all. The only time I started getting a little nervous was at the end of the pitch. It was like, and I was like, oh my God, I'm on Shark Tank and I just finished my pitch and I'm standing in front of all the sharks. But then they all started going, wow, oh my God, that was amazing. And I was like, yeah, I got him. I knew it. Because <laughs> I guess that's the bit that you haven't rehearsed a thousand times. That's the bit that Correct. is unknown. Correct. Unknown very yeah, The unknown is, is what are they going to do after that? But it was definitely the, the experience in the stores. And then it was that, that experience on QVC was also really fundamental in in how I got onto QVC and um, I mean, how I got onto Shark Tank. I learned a lot in about TV. You know, I was, on, I was on QVC before I was on Shark Tank. So I was camera ready. I was comfortable in front of a camera, which is, is not the easiest thing. Actually, people think it's really, you know, how easy, that's so easy just to be an actor. It's not. It's really an uncomfortable situation and it takes a while to 
to feel really comfortable in front of a camera to the point that you're not thinking about, you know, how you look and, and allowing it to get into your psyche. So the Shark Tank and QVC both elevated us and took years off of what would have been a really, really, really long haul in marketing. That showed me right away the power of, of the media and the power of getting in front of the camera. And, and for me personally, it was, oh my God, I did it for free. You can actually twist this media game and get them to cover you and get yourself in front of the, you know, the camera. And it, you don't actually have to pay you know, millions of dollars in advertising. I mean, when you're first starting out as a small business, you don't have that kind of budget. Um, and, and there is a way to do it. And we've leveraged that. You know, I've been on every news channel at this point, and we continue still to get into the news. You know, a, a, a film crew is coming here in a couple of weeks from a local television station because they want to cover you know, how we've done again. And we're constantly reaching out and constantly making ourselves available for that kind of free publicity. Uh, that, that is pivotal to the business, and we use it as part of our marketing arm. Now, in the same light, we're a mature company now. And now we're going to need to start putting our dollars back into marketing. And so we're, we're pivoting again. And we've actually created two made-for-TV commercials that will start going digital June 1st. And they're unbelievably fantastic. Like, they are, they're so killer. And that's the first time we'll ever pay for advertising or marketing. But it's time to do that, you know, as in, in the position that we're in and the stature of the company, we need to compete now on a level playing field with, you know, the, the other major competitors out there. And those companies are much larger, Procter & Gamble, 3M, Clorox. These aren't small companies. These are massive conglomerates. And we've done a great job building our brand. We're almost at 40% brand recognition in the U.S. within five years. It's pretty much unheard of. We sold 500,000 scrub dyes in Germany last month. Last month? Last month. <laughs> and we're selling now in the U.K. We're, it's going to be on QVC in the U.K. In, in about a month or two again. And our distributor is doing very well in the, in the U.K. right now. We've launched in Australia and it's selling on a shopping channel without me even being there. The, that we trained a girl how to do my show and sent them all the props and, and how to set up. And I constantly critique her show. She's been on five times and, and she's selling out in Australia. I just got back from Paris last week where we did a trade show called the, the Foire de Paris, the largest uh, uh, consumer trade fair. And we were selling thousands of scrub daddies a day. People were just going crazy. And you know how we did it? We used media. Our French distributor took our model, flew in a bunch of French journalists and television personalities, flew them to our headquarters for three days to tour and go out to dinner with us and, and go to a, a trade show that we were doing in Philadelphia and get to know Scrub Daddy that they were bringing to Paris. And then they aired it for free as a, as a show, as a documentary on, on French TV. And I walked into this trade show. I don't speak a word of French. And I, you know, I've only been to Paris a couple of times. And people are running up to me. Oh, my, I saw you on the TV. Take a picture with me. Oh. And I was like, oh, my God. What is going on right now? This is crazy. 
now it's it's going to start you know growing uh, and we'll we're going to replicate this model every every place that we can that's awesome i, I want to ask you about the digital piece you mentioned that you've got some ads which are built specifically for for online so obviously really experienced with qvc you know what works there what do you do differently when you're when you're creating ads for for online and which channels are you going for is it facebook and youtube primarily so the ads were were actually made for both digital and also traditional television. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're, they're not in the vein of how to do a QVC show. Um, they're not a selling platform. It's not, you know, look at the product, look how it does this. It, we wanted this to be just brand building. Mm. We just want you to know about the product. And, and here's why. At this point, we're in every major retailer in the country. Right, we're in Walmart, we're in Target, we're in Kroger, we're in Shoprite, we're in Bed Bath and Beyond, we're in Home Depot, we're in Lowe's, we're in CVS, we're in Walgreens, we're in Costco. If you name a retailer, we're probably there on the shelf. Now I just need you to buy it. it we've we've gotten through the the really difficult part, which is brand recognition, to get a buyer to believe that if this is on the shelf, it will sell. Now we need to sell more. So now I just need you to know what the product is and not a hardcore sell and not a direct sell. This is not an infomercial where there's a call to action. Buy it right now. This is, oh my God, that was really entertaining. Oh my God, Scrub Daddy is so much fun. That's something I would love to see. I would love to to try. And I saw that on TV. Let me, oh, there it is. Let me try it. So when I tasked the media company that was going to do this, I said, you know, this needs to be in my brand. So my brand is, is fun, it's creative, it, it's happy, makes you feel good. And we started, you know, putting all this together and we came up with this concept that it's very Disney-like. And we love the, the way that La La Land, did you ever see La yeah, La yeah. Land? love it. So we, we had this concept, how can we make Disney meet La La Land and and talk about Scrub Daddy. When you said their brand building, I was thinking like Coca-Cola where there's some people playing football and then there's just the Coke sign and there's they're relying on us making that connection. Whereas these ads, they might be brand building, but they're still using the demonstration and the direct response principles which you use to build it. So you're showing them in the glass with the fingers in the holes. You've got the benefit statements talking about what it does. So this isn't just brand building like banks do brand building. This is kind of direct response type-ish brand building. Right, but it doesn't, it doesn't say, you know, buy now no. or, or, or just doing the demonstrations. You don't know that you're actually seeing the product and seeing a demo and being sold. You're, yeah. too, you're too caught up enjoying the La La Land Disney song and, and being entertained. And, but, but I think we, we did put enough of the product in it that you know what Scrub Daddy is. And so they all end with Scrub Daddy and you know, clean anything with a smile and the hero shot of the box. These are really important elements that, that we wanted in there. We also, these are two very different ads. I don't know if you, if you noticed. One of them, is really directed towards the the housewife, yeah, um, and the concept of you know the husband made a huge mess, and Scrub Daddy will help you clean up the dishes and could save your marriage. That 
that's the that's the first one you know with the fish the second one shows the product not doing dishes it shows mm-hmm. that the product can clean all over the house it can clean the walls it can clean your children's hands did you notice that yeah, yeah. he was cleaning the mud off his hands and and then it also showed that it could get your kids to help out. I know. I was so, thinking that this is magic. Your kids will do your cleaning for you. Right. So two completely different ads targeting, you know, different, um, almost different demographics, but also the same customer, um, and but showing all of the different ways that you could use the product. And this won't be the end of it. This is just the start of it. We'll we'll utilize this song and come up with some other you know really funny ones. Um, about different things that you can clean with Scrub Daddy, but you know now we have a, a basis for for advertising. We will start this digitally. So like I, when you asked me, how are you going to do it? It's going to go on uh, Facebook, YouTube, um, and maybe Amazon is the, is our next one. But it's a nationwide campaign. We'll be putting significant dollars into it, and it sh- and it should hit you know most almost of the country. And it will be one of those things where. You know, you, you go to watch a YouTube video or something and, and first you're going to watch this. You could skip it, but if you skip it, I don't pay for it. But our, we, did a, we did our first test in a, in a, in a regional market and uh, 50% of the people that it was served to watched the whole thing. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's, that's unusual. Yeah, I mean, most people see an ad and just are clicking off. I, I, yeah. I want to see what I want to see, you know. For 50% to watch all 30 seconds. So that that led me to think, I think this is worth promoting. Now, if this works, and and we'll we'll get some data on this. If I just put this out in the airwaves of television, it would literally be like throwing money into the wind and and seeing what happened. You really wouldn't track anything. But digitally, we'll see how many people watch the whole thing. We know that kind of information. We can also see if you clicked on it to learn more information. So we can see how many post clicks were there. You know, and then if they go to our website, we're going to have a coupon there. So do you buy it from there or do you, you know, do we see a, a lift in our sales in retail or, or on Amazon? That will be interesting for us to see. <clears throat> if these work really, really well, I'll put it on the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. I was going to ask about tracking because obviously being brand, there's no specific CTA. So you're, you're looking at primarily the metrics of viewership and you know how long people are watching but you've also right. got a voucher code this leads to another question i've got which is i know you're not massively keen on e-commerce and running an e-commerce operation are you you're completely happy to drive to retail even though it means lower margins why, why is that well as you say that um we are we are on amazon we we just don't want to go direct with Amazon, so we sell it through a retailer, a retailer that yeah. sells it on Amazon, um, which is you know e-commerce. If you're asking why I don't want to set up my own store, um, a, it's looked unfavorably upon by all of the retailers out there that are our main customers. Yes, the the market is is starting to to switch to you know much more uh, purchases are being made online, and it's actually hurting some of our retailers. Uh, we'll we'll pay really close attention to what the market tells us if we need to switch our, you know, to to one side versus the other. But I think right now we're 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 spread pretty well. I can sell on Amazon. We're selling our Amazon sales are going up all the time. A lot of our our retail stores have a an e-commerce website. Uh, Walmart sells online. Target sells online. Bed Bath sells online. They're just not full e-commerce. 
They also have a brick and mortar location. I think it will settle somewhere in the middle. I, I don't think that um, every retail chain is going out of business. I still think that people will want to go to a supermarket and touch their own fruits and vegetables um, and, and pick their own produce. And I think that people don't want to just sit in the house all day long, that it will become, you know, let's go to the store. Like I'm, I'm you know, I'm already, you know, I've already sat home for three days and ordered all my stuff on Amazon. <laughs> so I think, you know, there's a pendulum swing and uh, I'm so ingrained right now in the retailers that I don't want to, you know, go into competition against them uh, and make it look like, you know, we're, we're doing that. Also, there's significant infrastructure that you need to set up in order to deal with the, with the public at large. And that makes it much, much more complicated. Um, and it raises all your costs. I mean, sure, you make the full margin, but you don't because you need to have so many more people in accounting, so many more people in shipping, so many more employees packing up individual boxes, so much more space to handle all of the, the corrugated for every little box that you're going to package and track. And I'd rather palletize a truckload and send it to Bed Bath. That's why I, I, I choose to do the model like this. Again, I, I won't. I'm not stubborn to the point of if I see our business suffering and all the business is going to that direction, I'm not going to let us go out of business. I'll, I'll pivot mm. and, and we'll, we'll put some more efforts into, into going towards uh, e-commerce. But we're, we're already doing that. If you, mm. if you look on Amazon and you put in Scrub Daddy, we've built out an entire e-commerce store, Scrub Daddy store with all our products and we are uploading videos now so that there's video content. We spent significant money to create um, beautiful informational videos about every one of our items, and they're all online. And they're all for use on Amazon selling our product. So one of my, my largest e-commerce retailers is QVC. So you know QVC sells on their website all day long with a demonstration video, which is always the last show that I did, and I can sell bulk quantity to QVC all day long and let them handle all the rest of the logistics, all the rest of the individual shipments, all the customer service complaints, all the tracking, all the little boxes that have to get packed up and have a stamp put on. Sometimes it's better to stick to your wheelhouse, what you're really good at doing. <laughs> We're good at making sponges, yeah. um, creating new sponge products. I'm not a logistical warehouse that you know wants to package up 10,000 boxes a day and ship them out. So that's that's my answer for you. I would suggest you're also fairly handy with branding, but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> um, Facebook, I, I just want to ask you quickly about Facebook. I know we're uh, approaching the end of our time together, but what's your approach with Facebook? Do you treat it as a purely self-promotional thing? Are you looking to engage with people? Are you looking to share people who are using Scrub Daddy? How do, how do you see this? So we do all of the above and I don't limit it to Facebook. It's literally our social media programs. So that yeah. is Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, Snapchat, LinkedIn. So on all these platforms, I have a, an entire department and they're literally scouring through every single comment and responding to every single comment. Any complaint, any private message, uh, public message, post, anything, is, it has some type of response. It's either a customer service response or they're like, thank you so much for the love. We love you right back. Um, we use it as a communications platform direct with our customers. 
Uh, we use it to uh, share launches like you just saw. Um, we're, you know, we, we not just, we don't just post that. We paid and promoted that post. I want people to know that I'm on QVC tonight with our brand new SpongeBob. So we're using it for advertising purposes and we use it a little bit to, to track our competitors. I mean, we're, we're watching what other people do and, you know, what our competitors are posting about. And if they comment about us, we, we like to, you know, so we're using it for some exploratory concepts regarding how our, how our competitors are handling it. Uh, I watch every one of our competitors on Instagram all the time. And I, you know, cringe when they do stuff that I think is copying us or is reminiscent of what we're doing. And, and sometimes I'll even see things that they're doing that I'm like, that's interesting. Maybe we should, maybe we should look at uh, doing something like that. My, my wife handles the uh, social media and PR outside the company. She doesn't work uh, in, in here. She works from home. Uh, but we also have a multimedia communications director, a customer service person, and we're actually hiring another person for that department. Cool. So do you see social as quite a big part of Scrub Daddy's marketing growth as things like TV maybe lose a little bit? of Very, very, very big. Um, and so big that we now have a Facebook France page, a Facebook UK page, a Facebook Germany page, Facebook Australia page, US page. We have a Canada page yet? They need to get one up. <laughs> fix and, it for me. <laughs> and fix it for me. <laughs> Yes, I, I, I think that social media is, you know, obviously is the new way that, that, that companies can directly engage with their, their, their customers and, and see their feedback. It's not always that a customer will call the company to complain or even to say something nice, mm. but they love to post about it and they love to put a picture up about it. And, you know, we can take that asset and blast it out and be like, you know, mm. either we can squash it by sending them a, a replacement or making them feel better about the situation, or we can ask them for permission and use that and be like, look, look what you know, our customers are saying. It's, it's definitely the new medium uh, for, for, for business. I don't really post about myself at all. I have a private Facebook page that is only for like my friends and family. And you know, I, I'm not interested in everyone knowing what I do every day, but a lot of people are. But as, as far as a business tool, I think that it's, you know, it, it, every, every single business, it's, it should not just be on Facebook, but, but better have an entire social media platform that they're engaging with their, their customer base. And, sh and it also shows your, your competitors how real you are. Mm -hmm. I, I like that. Yeah, very true. We're coming to the end of our time together, Aaron. We've got a quick fire round, three super quick questions. We're just asking for the answers that hit you immediately. Sound good? I don't do that. <laughs> but I'll try. You'll try. Okay. So if you could only pick one marketing channel to promote Scrub Daddy, you have to ditch everything else. What would it be? I'm, I'm, I'm making it short. So just... <laughs> uh, it would be QVC. QVC. Awesome. If you absolutely Do I need had... to explain why or is it quite obvious? It's fairly obvious considering what you've done with it. <laughs> How many times have you been on QVC? Uh, more than 280 times. And I also want to add that QVC just bought out their biggest competitor, HSN. And shortly, you'll be seeing products uh, going on to the other network. Holy shit. You Holy better shit. get making some more scrub daddies. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, QVC is a global company as well. So it gives you 
everything that I believe in. It's the exposure, it's the television, it's the media, it's the marketing, logistics, it's it's everything that I that I believe in. But remember, you only asked me for one channel and I would never just do one channel. Go ahead. Of course. If you absolutely had to 10x Scrub Daddy sales in the next year, but you had unlimited marketing budget, what's the first thing that you think you'd do? I would put out a bunch of ads that looked like Disney and La La Land. (laughs) (laughs) That's brilliant. Cool. And then final question. If you could go back and give yourself one piece of advice on the day one of starting Scrub Daddy, what would it be? Well, you gotta assume that we're talking about starting Scrub Daddy back in 2006. I would have said, put a smiley face on it and realize that this is for the dishwashing market and I would have had another five year start. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure, man. Thanks for having us. 